beautiful praise and prayer time. <laughs> Hard act to follow, actually. I don't know whether my simple message this morning... <laughs> well, at any rate, we'll see. Um, I'm talking this morning on, uh, as much as I like um, Paul's letters, um, and it is one of his letters, Philippians. I didn't tell you, John. <laughs> um, but I'm splitting it up any rate, so that's all right. Um, I'll read you the first bit. Um, it's Philippians 2 um, and 1 to 5. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. This letter, Philippians, was a letter that Paul wrote. Um, he was clearly, they seem to think, under house arrest in Rome at the time. And I always like to have a look at a bit of the background, so I'll give you a little bit, a bit of background on this. Um, the town of Philippi was named after Philip II, and he was the father of Alexander the Great. And it was a Roman colony that was independent of any provincial administration, and it had a government organisation which is similar to Rome. Many of the retired Roman ar army legionnaires lived there, and there are actually very few Jews. It's, it is unusual to find in um, Paul's letters no mention whatsoever of the Old Testament. He always mentions it. But in this case, he doesn't mention it at all here, at all, because there, is, there are no Jews there, or very few Jews. And as a result, there was no synagogue, so the Jews were, that were there met for prayers on the banks of the Gangites River that ran beside Philippi. And it was customary for places of prayer to be outside and near to running water. So this letter was addressed to the Christians he had met and obviously had baptized many of them when he was on his second missionary journey to Philippi in Macedonia. If you remember that in Acts it was in Philippi that Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown into prison. And at midnight there was a violent earthquake and the doors flew open and their chains fell off and they were eventually officially released, of course, by the authorities when they realised that they had been wrongly arrested because they were Roman citizens. And after that, the jailer and his family were baptised. I think the great thing about all of Paul's letters is that they always say it as it is. And they convey his absolute total compassion and unwavering faith in, in Jesus. And he also accelerates his own humility and his own frailties, and we see that so often. His humanity adds 
of course, believability and power and authority to what he says. And as one can so often identify with his feelings and personal battles, I mean, there are many of his letters which you can actually say, oh, that's me, that's me. And it's, uh, so much, therefore, can be learned about living a Christian life from his writings. This letter he sent to the, Philipp the Philippians uh, is a ministry, basically a ministry thank you letter. They had sent him some financial gifts when they heard that he was in detention. Um, and he also wanted to tell them about his prayers, his constant prayers for them, and the joy that he'd heard from their partnership with the gospel since he last saw them, so that he'd heard news of how they were getting on. And he reports on the progress of his work, but also uses the opportunity to encourage the Philippians to stand firm in the face of persecution and rejoice regardless of their circumstances. So they obviously must have said that there was, you know, it was very difficult, they were finding it difficult. So the passages we're looking at today are really a very special for us as, as Paul is exhorting them to try to imitate Christ's humility. Uh, there's obviously an assumption by Paul that since he saw, he last saw the Philippian Christians, they've been encouraged by being united with Christ and have been comforted by his love. Being as much like Jesus as they can is what Paul is wanting. He's, this is what you're saying. Being in union with Christ is a simple basic truth and the reality of salvation for Paul. And that's what, what he thinks. And he thinks to be in Christ is to be saved, to be an intimate personal relationship with Christ our Saviour flows all the particular blessings of salvation. So that's it, his simple basic truth of what he thinks. Encouragement, love, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, fellowship among believers like this lovely church, tenderness and compassion. There is a clear connection that Paul sees in the unity with Christ is also unity with believers. Each one needs the other. The true unity in the church requires and needs true faith and unity with Christ. In view of all the great blessings that the Philippians had received in Christ, Paul urges them to be united together in harmony, and he requests it in four ways. They are to have the same mind or the same thinking. Well, it seems quite a strong thing. To have the same love, to be joined together in spirit, having common ways and purposes, be of one mind, in other words, to have similar attitudes, concerns and intentions. Now, this is quite an ask. For him to say this, it seems that there must have been a high level of disunity among the Philippians with considerable difference of opinion. It is not expected that there will always be the same opinions and matters of faith. <laughs> Margaret and I have just recently joined, well in the last year, we joined a church very close to us. It's a small chapel and there's probably, the membership is smaller than here. Um, and having always been in, in a church where we had the same sort of theology and same beliefs, it's, it's come as quite a shock to me to find one or two of them think quite differently. And it's been a lesson to me, of course, that there are differences, 
and ha everybody has different matters of faith. Differences but are, are often helpful, of course, because they stretch our understanding of God, his mission, and indeed the world we live in. But like-mindedness, harmony, and unity among the Philippian believers are what Paul says will make his joyful and complete, and of course ours. Paul then goes on to say that we must condemn selfishness and all its unpleasant relatives, and there's lots of them, envy, jealousy, conceit, pride, arrogance. They all have simply no place in a Christian personality. To be selfish is absolutely nothing like being like Jesus. If we want to be like him, it means dying to self, our selfish and sinful passions and desires. Well, this is difficult. Dying to self means leaving for, living for God and his will. Part of our journey to spiritual maturity is to live for God and for other people. Instead of being envious of others or following empty, menacing ambitions, we are to be humble. This is really the main principle of this thing. It's a clear personal quality of Jesus. Humility. How do we live with humility? Paul tells us, regard another as more important or better than ourselves. Don't just look out for our own personal interests, but also the interests of others. And this is a straight, simple, straightforward advice. We should not feel timid or arrogant, neither inferior or superior to anyone. Nevertheless, we should always regard others as more important. But we should all have the same humble and selfless attitude as Jesus Christ. A passage I read recently, I think hit the nail on the head about our attitude about ourselves. We are all different personalities. And our Christian walk is different for all of us. So it said, the Christian gospel and I think this is so good, is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Well, we know that. Yet I'm also so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. And it undermines entirely both any swaggering or any snivelling. If you've ever read a book, if you, I don't know whether you've ever read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It's, it's a sort of classic, really. And he refers in the book as Christians as being little Christs. All different, with different personalities, but one in unity with Christ and each other. He has lots of illustrations in his book and he struggles <laughs> If you've read it, he, he struggles with them. And I think there's, there's one here that I think is lovely. And he talks about you meeting somebody who knew nothing about salt. And you give him a pinch and you put it on his tongue, a big pinch of salt. And he experiences a very strong, strong and sharp taste. You go, ugh, it's really horrible. You then tell him that in your country it's used in cookery. It's not unreasonable then for him to ask if all food tasted the same, 
as it was so strong and must kill the taste of everything else. Well, you know, of course, that the effect is exactly the opposite. It actually brings out the flavour. But then Mr Lewis says, what a bad illustration it is that you actually, you, as you actually could kill off the taste by putting too much salt in. However, the point being with a humble Christian is that the taste of human individuality and personality can never be killed off by putting in too much Christ. It, it merely increases the flavour. So it's Christ is the salt we need. And being little Christ is exactly what we should strive to be, however difficult. Jesus came to earth to turn us not just into better people, of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of people, the sons of God. It's not like teachers, Jesus teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning the horse into a winged creature. Once it's got its wings, it will soar over fences at heights that could never have been jumped by a natural horse. This is us, the sons of God, and we can do better as little Christ's. And I'm going to read back a bit more from Philippians. I say we see the poetic nature of the verses, which some think may have been an early hymn. This is Philippians 6 to 11. But nevertheless, does express Paul's conviction and deals with Christ's humiliation and exaltation. Now this is the reading. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This passage I think really brings home the very nature of Christ. It affirms that Christ was fully God. He emptied himself not by giving up his deity but laying aside his glory and by humility becoming man. Not only was he like a man, but he had the outward characteristics of a man. He humbled himself to become an obedient servant even unto death. His death on the cross was the climax of his obedience. So verses 12 and 13 say, We are to be shining lights in the world. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my present presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Therefore, what should we be? Shining lights in the world? Live particularly in fellowship and unity with each other. Do not be selfish. 
adopt a Christ-like attitude, always consider others better than ourselves, and strive to be little Christs. Uh, this morning it's been a very simple message, simple like actually many of Paul's letters are, but also very proud, profound and an opportunity to relook at our own humility and our own unity with others in our walk with Jesus. As Christians, despite all our failings, by God's grace, we are adopted as children of God and as such, heirs to an incredible and glorious future. Amen. <laughs>